We're going through our series. You're visiting with us. We're doing a series for a couple months, going through the books, looking at what's normal anyway, trying to get this idea of we live in a culture that is drastically changing incredibly rapidly. And as Christian people, we're saying, you know what? I'm not so sure anymore what's normal. What's, what am, how am I supposed to live? What's life supposed to be like? What's this Christian walk supposed to look like in this culture? And so what we've been doing is, is looking to the one thing that never changes, God and his word, and saying what was normal for the early church, not in relationship to their, their cultural things, like they rode horses instead of cars, but what was normal in their Christian spiritual life. And if we look at what's normal for them, we can figure out what God would have normal for us. That makes sense? Right. And so last week... Um, we started the sermon off by looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is a, a, a verse that probably most of you can quote. Acts 1, 8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And what we found from that is that God's supernatural activity is the activity of the Holy Spirit, and it is tied to his mission. I'll give you power to accomplish my mission, that the, that the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in the church is to advance the mission of God. His mission that we found looking at scriptures, his mission of seeking and saving the lost. So we talked last week about what the supernatural activity of God looks like. And I'm bringing that up for a reason. I'm going to use the same verse to start with today, but also to say this. If you weren't here last week, I really recommend that you go into podcast and you listen to that sermon. Um, because I think a lot of times people misunderstand what the supernatural activity of God is, and so they look for it improperly, they, and they look at things that they think is where God's going to function, and it's not. But the supernatural activity of God is tied to the mission of God. And so we talked about that last week for, you know, for 30 minutes and explained that. Now this week, there's another thing that I want to talk about that, that comes out of Acts 1.8, and that's why I started off referring to last week, because you'd say, didn't we look at that verse last week? And we're going we're gonna to take something else and use it as a launch pad, Acts 1-8, um, uh, for today. And, and for today in our sermon, we looked last week at how it started off talking about the power of God is displayed through the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. Well, this week we want to kind of say what's personal about that? Or how does it apply to me that, that this one phrase in, that, in Acts 1-8 says, after you receive the Holy Spirit, and you shall be my what? You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That the Holy Spirit empowers those in the church to be witnesses. And that's what we're going to focus on. Um, I want you to think about something with me this morning as we begin. What is a witness? Just think of that. You shall be a witness. What is a witness? If we think of what a witness is, uh, a witness is one who can give a first-hand account of something. A witness is this. You know, I saw the car accident so I can tell you what happened. Now, I remember about two years ago coming to church on a Wednesday night, back before the roundabout was here on LL, right down the road here. Remember how it used to be that crazy on-ramp that came up from 33 to cut on to LL? And we were driving in a snowstorm. It was all slippery out, coming to church. And we're coming right where that on-ramp is on, the merge is on. And as I'm going super slow, here comes a squad car, a sheriff, flying for no reason at all. He wasn't supposed to be speeding. He wasn't on the way to a call. And I even said, that turkey cut me off. And when he, when he cut me off, he also cut me off, lost control, spun around, and smashed his squad car into the bridge and crashed his car. And so I didn't laugh, 
but I wanted to laugh because he was going too fast and cut me off. Um, but I had to stop and wait. We had to stop and wait and wait at church to do something, to give a firsthand account of what happened because the other sheriffs had to come and take a statement from me of saying, what did you see? How did it happen? And he made sure he came to my car real quick and informed me what did happen so I wouldn't say what really happened um, because he didn't want to get in trouble. And so it was interesting, but I was an eyewitness of a car accident, so I had to sit there and tell a first-hand account of what I saw. And I didn't lie, I just told a first-hand account of, of what I saw. And so God calls us to be witnesses, be, to, to give a testimony to a first-hand account. So when the Lord says, you will have the Holy Spirit's power to be His witnesses, notice this in the text, to be my witnesses, Jesus' witnesses, what is he saying we can give a first-hand account of? That's a question. What is God saying you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses? What is he saying that we are to give a first-hand account of? It's this. The Holy Spirit empowers us so that we can give a first-hand account of who Jesus is and how that's affected you. A lot of times we only think of half of that. We think witnessing is talking about who Jesus is. But that doesn't really what a witness is. A witness gives a first-hand account. So when the Holy Spirit empowers us, he empowers us so that we can, um, we can say who Jesus is and how that or he has affected you. A first-hand account. Not theory. Not something about a church. Not uh, some textbook answer. But how have you experienced the reality of Jesus in your life. You see, the reason that the Holy Spirit empowers you is so that you can tell others about Jesus in your life. That's, why you be, that's what it is to become a witness. Now think about this from the book of Acts. Let's take a step back. Remember, you've been reading the book of Acts a chapter a day. You're going to read it three times in a series. You read one chapter a day. So you've been through it, hopefully already, getting close to it. And as we step back and we look at the big picture of the book of Acts, as we look for kind of a storyline through the book of Acts, we ask ourselves, what is it? This is the storyline of the book of Acts, the big picture. All of Acts is really just telling about its people hearing about Jesus and becoming his followers, and then those people then telling others about what Jesus has done in their lives and who he is. That's really the storyline. That's a big picture of the whole book of Acts. Um, this exchange between people is what the book of Acts is all about. It goes from Jerusalem to Judea to, uh, to, to, to Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth that the book of Acts simply records the spread of Christianity from Jews to Gentiles, from the Jewish epicenter of Jerusalem to all the world, which then takes it to all of, all of our ancestors. That's really all the book of Acts is about. So when we look at the storyline of Acts, we see that what was normal for them was simply telling others about Jesus. And that's what we're going to think about today. Normal anyway. What's normal anybody anyway for a child of God is telling other people about Jesus. Now, if you're thinking in lines of Portview Pete, some of you don't know who Portview Pete is. Portview Pete is not going to be up there. Portview Pete was up there last week. It's our little reminder guy that shows us the five purposes of the church. Um, that telling others about Jesus is one of the five. 
that we've looked at, this number four of the five we're looking at, saying that, that the purposes of the church that we looked at, you know, worship and, and telling others about Christ and, and authentic community and serving and mentoring, that those are, those are the purposes that we've said from Scripture are the purposes of the church. But as we look at Acts, we see they just spring right out of the book of Acts, that that was the purposes of the early church. So looking at what's normal anyway, what's the purpose of the church? One of the purposes, it's telling others about Jesus. In fact, I would say this. I would say that those people in the book of Acts could never imagine the idea that someone 2,000 years after they lived would believe that Christianity is simply personal. That it's something that's personal. It's my personal religion. And that they would not get the idea that they were commissioned to take the message of Jesus everywhere. Hear what I said? I really believe that's true. I believe you talked to a first century person and, and, and described the idea that some people have a Christianity, that it's just this personal thing. That, it's a, that, that, that the heart of it is not to take what God did in your life and share it with other people. They would scratch your heads and go, I don't know what you got, but you don't got what I got. They'd say, you have something, but you don't have Christianity. I don't believe for a second that they could even conceive of the idea that Christianity is simply this personal relationship with Jesus and that it didn't have its whole heart was about being commissioned then by Jesus to take his message everywhere, to be a witness of what he had done in their lives. They could never imagine Christianity without the idea and the responsibility of personally, tell, personally telling others about Jesus, to telling them about the firsthand experience they had with Jesus. I don't think they conceived of the idea. So therefore, neither should we be able to conceive of that idea. Now, when we think about witnessing, about what Jesus has done in their lives in the book of Acts, they told people, come up with a dilemma. We come up with a dilemma in our understanding of what it is to share the gospel. And I want to share, share something with you. The dilemma is this, about witnessing. The book of Acts is structured around Acts 1-8. That's why we started there today. Acts 1-8 is taking the gospel to all of these new people groups. Most of the examples of the people who take the, the gospel to new people who do the witnessing come from this group, a small group of people, the apostles and the church leaders. So as you're reading the book of Acts through every day, a chapter a day, and you're looking at how they shared with other people, you're really seeing um, the church leaders telling their story everywhere they go. So we find Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost to thousands of Jews who are gathered for the annual Pentecost celebration. Guy who stands up and goes, wait a minute, these guys aren't drunk as you think. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he preaches a message to thousands of people and thousands of people come to know Christ. Then we go down a few pages later and we find Philip. And Philip's described as what? Philip the evangelist. So he's, we're saying he's a church leader. He's gifted by God to be an evangelist. And we see him taking the gospel to the people of Samaria. Gospel. And they all save so much so that it makes, takes, uh, makes waves in Jerusalem so that the leaders in Jerusalem send some of the leaders there to say, now have you received the Holy Spirit? So we see this guy, this evangelist, preaching to masses of people who he's never met before. He goes to a different place. Go a little further. Then we come on to Saul, who becomes Paul. And what we see really for two-thirds of the book of is from city to country to country preaching the gospel to people and establishing churches, right? That's what we see. 
These are the guys selected by God to take the gospel to new people in new places. It's what we call apostolic who are sent with authority to establish the kingdom of God in places where it's not there yet. Now, in here is where the dilemma I see comes in. It's a dilemma I didn't understand for a long time, but here's where the dilemma comes in. What about what I want to call the average Joe or Joanne? What about the average Joe? The guy, and listen to me when I say this, the guy or girl, born again, selected by God, it's a calling, selected by God to live in some small town somewhere, to raise a family, to plant a crop, to be there at harvest time to gather it in. He's not running around from town to town and country to country and preaching the thousands. What about the average Joe? Well, for years I didn't see this distinction between the church leaders and the average Joe. I didn't see this, the dilemma, for a reason. Because I was one who had been called by God to preach the gospel and go to new places and do it. And I just identified with Paul and Peter and Philip. Just go everywhere and tell everyone was kind of a thing. Abandon it all for the sake of the call. And I just expected everybody else to do the same thing. I expected everybody else in there witnessing that that's just normal. I'm going to strangers. I'm going everywhere. Abandon it all for the sake of the call. Do this. Move here. Move there. Establish new things. And that's just normal Christianity. But you know what? Most of the people who are believers and do, and do have the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses won't function in this apostolic manner. They are not preaching to crowds in strange cities and establishing churches um, going from place to place to place. So the question from the book of Acts then is, how then does the bulk of the church body Fulfill this normal part of Christianity of telling others about Jesus. If most of what we see in Acts is just these apostolic people going around and people look at that and they go, there must be something wrong with me because I'm not preaching to crowds. You know, I, I can't stand up in front of people. I'm afraid, of, I'm afraid to stand up and do that. Or, or I, I, you know what, I don't have the training to do that. What, how then does the bulk of Christianity tell others about Jesus? Let's look at three separate situations from the book of Acts that give us just a glimpse into how what I'm going to call the rank and file of the early church spread the gospel message. And when I say rank and file, that's why I've gone through, trying to go through pains to say just as saved, just as anointed, just as inspired by the, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because the mistake the church world has made is we put some people up on a pedestal and we go, oh, that's the great the great Apostle Paul, or that's the great Peter, or that's the great Philip the Evangelist, and we go, let it all up to them. We don't understand that the same Spirit of God empowers every single person, the average Joe and the average Joanne. Exactly the same, to do something different, but just the same Spirit's empowerment. And so what I tried to do in the book of Acts, well, I'll tell you, it was a challenge, to find the average Joe's history, because it was a picture of the book of Acts of just the, just the apostolic people doing it. So grab your Bible. We're going to get three examples of, of just kind of the rank and file. Being involved in witness-type ministry and expanding the gospel. So turn, first of all, to Acts chapter 10. I'm just going to read these, and I'm going to ask you some questions about them. So just kind of follow along if you want, and then I'm going to kind of jump in the middle of some stories. 
and then move on to another one and see we're going to find this. There's some, there's some similarities. So Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 22. This is uh, the idea of uh, the story of Cornelius and Peter when this Cornelius, this Gentile, and Peter, uh, the, this Jew, are for the first time ever hooking up where they understand that the gospel can actually be received by, by Gentiles. And so in the middle of that story, verse 22, it says, As they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, which is Peter, um, and to come to this house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And it goes on to say, then Peter preached the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Um, and they, they're born again and they're filled with the Spirit. Now flip over to Acts chapter 16. Remember what we just read in Acts 10. Acts 16, starting in verse 27. Story of Paul and Silas imprisoned and how when God sets them free, they they rescue a jailer who's going to commit suicide because he thinks they've escaped and how that jailer comes to Christ. Starting in verse 27, it says, Then, or when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open because God had caused an earthquake, um, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he took them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them and was that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Now flip over one more place, chapter 18, verse 8. A guy named Crispus. Crispus is the leader of the synagogue um, who's become a convert to Christianity. And just looking at one verse, talk about how how he is, um, what's going on in the ministry that's being established in Corinth. And what's going on at this particular time through Crispus, the leader. Verse 8 says, Crispus, synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now, did you notice similarities in the three stories? There's a couple of similarities in these three stories that I think are incredibly insightful, are incredibly important to getting insight into how the average Joe is to be a witness for Christ. Let me say this. First of all, they're all stories about what I'm going to call common people. Common people. I love what happened, is it done on purpose, that um, in the one situation, Cornelius, what's the first thing he does? He falls worship him. And what's Peter do as, the, as a leader? The right thing. He says, says, stand up. I'm just a guy like you. He understands um, super Christians and lower Christians. He goes, stand up. I'm just one of you. And he tells him the gospel. What we find here in those three stories is the commonalities. First of all, they're all common people, meaning they weren't the apostles who were going from place to place to place establishing things. So they're just the rank and file people who heard or were hearing the gospel 
And what they did is they then gathered their family and their friends so they could hear, their family and friends could hear the truth also. Now we understand something about these particular situations. We understand that most of these were hearing the gospel themselves for the first time, so they gathered their family and friends to hear the gospel from another person. Um, And that would have been necessary because they were just themselves learning the truth of the gospel. But... um, in that idea of bringing that there is this underlying principle that we need to understand here about about witnessing is this. That the way the rank and the file of the early church approached being his witnesses was this. This is what you need to own today. That they individually took responsibility for their own mission field. that's, That's the whole heart of what I want you to get today. That's what we see in these people's lives. That what did they do? The exact details... We're going to see a little bit about some of the details, but what it really was is this. It was the heart. It was the idea that they took responsibility for their own mission field. What did Cornelius do? He gathered his relatives and his close friends. Do you think God has things included just because he's trying to waste scriptural space? He had put on purpose that he gathered his relatives and his close friends on purpose to make a point. That Cornelius could have just went alone and told me, but he didn't. He was responsible for his own... Mission field, so he took his relatives and his close friends with him to hear. Then the Philippian jailer. He could have just said, How do I get saved? And, and Paul could have, and Peter could have, could have told him, but it's not what he did. It says he gathered his household. And they all heard it, and they were all saved. How about Crispus, a synagogue leader? It says that he influenced his household and the people of his city, Corinth. They all took responsibility for their own mission field. They understood that it was their calling and their responsibility to help those they knew come to experience Jesus. So in this early stage of the spread of of the church, um, what they would do is they would bring someone to share the gospel with their family and their friends. And as they grew in their relationship with Jesus, they would have simply then explained what Jesus had done for them to those they knew. They knew that the Spirit had empowered them to tell their friends and their family how real Jesus was in their life. There's a book by a guy named Michael Green. And he makes this, I think, incredibly insightful observation on how the early Christians spread their faith. It's in a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And he writes this. He says, This must often have um, not been formal preaching but the informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes and shops, on walks, and around market stalls. They were everywhere gossiping the gospel. Gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with conviction. Listen, conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously and the movement spread. Friends, there is something that I want you all to understand here. That God's plan for reaching your friends and your family is you. God has a plan on reaching your friends and your family. And you are the heart of that plan. You didn't come to know Jesus because you chose it. You come to know Jesus because Jesus did you. And you're in your family on purpose. And, and you're there because his plan to reach your friends and your family is you. And you need to, to 
to, to hear something from what Green wrote here, the reason I, I read what, what Green wrote, that people will actually listen to you more than they will listen to me. Your family and friends will listen to you about Jesus more than they'll listen to me. Because you know what they'll say? They'll say, you know what? He's just paid to preach. They'll say, you know what? People often, um, that that guy's just trying to build his church or or get you in because he wants your money or whatever the thousand reasons they're going to say. But you know what? They know that the only vested interest you have in telling them about Jesus is your love for them and your concern for their lives. They know you're not getting anything out of it. Your motives aren't questioned. And that's what Green is getting at here. That God's plan for reaching your friends and your family is you. You are God's avenue into the spiritual lives of those you know. And that's what we see in the book of Acts from the rank and file. They took responsibility to gather together and put effort into saying, I need to make sure that my friends and my family knows the truth about who Jesus is. And friends, what an awesome revelation for you to own today. For you to recognize God has a high and a holy calling on your life. That he has hand-selected you and that he says, you know what, I, I trust you. And he's put you in the place where you can be an influencer to your friends and your family. Have you ever really thought of that? That that's why you know Jesus, to influence people for the kingdom. So you know what? So once you own and embrace that high and holy calling, once you really come to terms with the fact that the book of Acts is how did people witness for Christ, that you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to advance His kingdom? How do you do that to join with in the mission, that your primary place you engage in that is in your, with your family and your friends? Once you, under, you see that and you embrace it, then what do you do? You say, okay. Now what do I do? Well, first of all, you live like a follower of Jesus. You say, oh, that's too simple. Uh, 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 uh. It's not simple at all. You live out the reality of your faith 24-7, 365. The most powerful witnessing tool there is on the planet is your changed life. And you know what? The most damaging tool there is against the gospel is your life. That's the truth. If you have a changed life and you're living like Jesus, it will influence the people around you. You show those closest to you, that you know those who are watching you, your family and your friends, that Jesus is really real because he has really changed your life. By revealing the spiritual fruit that before where you flew off the handle, now you have grace. Or before where you, where you lied, now you tell the truth. When they see growing, and you know what? Sometimes we say, I've, I've lived with Jesus a little while. You keep on growing. You keep on getting better. You keep on becoming more like Jesus. And they see that reality. You know what? Somebody said to me recently, said, first time I came to church, I thought, you're just a jerk, something like that. You know, you're just up there blowing smoke. You know what? People say that all the time. I said, I've heard it a thousand times. But you know what? That's because they don't know me. They don't have a relationship with me. But they have a relationship with you. Your friends and your family see if Jesus is real. Because you, doesn't mean you're perfect. But you know what it does mean? 
you don't act like on Sunday morning and act like the devil the rest of the week. Say, so I just live, you say, well, you know, self-willed, greedy, that all week. And then put on Jesus this morning. Your kids look at that. Your neighbors look at that. Your spouse looks at that and goes, Bleh. I don't want any of that. That's what they say. The Apostle Paul says it like this, the verse that Brett and I were talking about this week. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Every one of you has been called. We've all been called. We've been called to be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, live a life worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Why? Because those closest to you are paying attention. That's the first thing. It's all about who you are. It's all about how you, how you live and how you act. You know what the greatest thing is? The, biggest, the greatest thing is that you really were rotten in the past. <laughs> you really aren't rotten anymore. And they go, why? And you go, because of Jesus. And they go, wow, I want what you've got. That's the first thing you do. You act like Jesus is followed. I mean, you're perfect? Nope. But you know what? It's awesome. When you're not perfect and you mess up, you say, I'm sorry. And they go, he would have never said that before. And they go, why did you do that? And you go, because Jesus is a forgiver. And I want you to forgive me and I want to forgive you. And they go, wow. You know what? He really changed. He's really different. He got that Jesus stuff. And they go, something's real. So the first thing you do when you embrace this idea that you're called of God to influence your community, is you simply act like Jesus. You act like a follower of Jesus. And then the second thing, this is going to sound simple, but you simply look for where God is working in the lives of those around you and you join Him in what He is doing. We spent 12 weeks on it. It's just Henry Blackaby's experiencing God. You look for what He's do- working and you join Him. Friends, remember, God is always at work around you. He is accomplishing His mission, and He wants you to join with Him in His activity of reaching your family and your friends. It's His will. It's His plan. So look for God's activity in the lives of those you are interacting with. When someone is talking about spiritual matters or they're struggling in life, often you are seeing God's hand at work in them. When they're struggling... That's often the hand of God at work in their life. God's trying to let them realize that the world's empty and lost and there's something more and they're in dissonance and they're going, what is it? I'm frustrated. That's often the work of the Spirit of the Lord trying to show them, let the world go and come and follow me. When you see those things, you identify the fact that God is working in their lives. Friends, those are the people you focus on. Take time to talk to them. Clear your calendar. Invest energy into them. You know, tell them your story means you have to have a story of how Jesus has helped and is helping you. Invite them, and it's important, invite them to church or to a small group for a reason, so that they can experience the presence of God among the people of God. There's something unique about when we gather together. Powerful in worship. And they go, I feel something. Something, whatever this is, I, I feel it. I never felt that before. They're experiencing the presence of God among the people of God. And then answer their questions. Show them the love of Jesus. That's how you partner with God. That's how you partner with God. What you're doing, and I explain this, I, I used this illustration one other time, and multiple people said, oh, I get it now. What you're simply doing is you're watching for ripe fruit. You're watching for apples that are turning red. 
You're looking to see who is ready to come to Christ. Who in the crowd of all the people you know in your life is open to what God is doing. And understand, not everybody is right now. It's God's plan because you couldn't minister to all of them. In your whole circle, there's probably one or two. That's your harvest field. That's where you invest your energies. Too often, we try to harvest unripe fruit. We try to pick apples before they turn red. We want to force green apples to become ripe before their time so, that, so we create instead little religious Pharisees. The heart's not right, but we say just act a certain way. Come here and act this way. That's the worst thing you could ever do. If it's not right true on the inside, don't force it on the outside. Sinners are supposed to sin. That's, that's why they're called sinners. They don't know you Jesus yet. When you come to Christ, you're called a saint. You're supposed to stop sinning. And so, don't try to for, make little religious Pharisees out of people. Instead, look for ripening fruit. Look for people who have a hunger and openness to what God is doing and put your energy and your time time there. Don't try to force family members or friends to come to Jesus before they're ready because you know what will happen? Is they'll reject what they hear from you and they'll harden their hearts. It's not that what you're saying is wrong. It's not that your message is wrong. It's that they're not ready to be harvested yet. Give them time. Keep praying for them. Keep looking for honest opportunities. You know what I always do? I try to keep pushing the door a little bit. And I see if there's resistance. I try to them, and if they push, I stop. And I try again. I push back. I stop. I wait. They, well, they give me an invitation. The invitation is this: when I push the door, and they invite me to open the door, and then I go, "Okay, this person." Look at that with all the people around. I try to say, "Who is ripening all around me every day?" And I'm kind of a little every day. Open says your primary. It's, it's the core of who you are every day, not just once a year, you know, when, when you suddenly say, oh, let's, you know, I ought to, we have some campaign at church to bring somebody to church. No, it's who you are. It's your high and holy calling to reach your friends and family. So every day you're, you're kind of nudging doors. You're looking for ripe fruit. The ripe fruit is when you nudge the door and they, and they open it and you get to come in and share. It's built on a, a foundation of trust because they've seen Jesus is really real in your life first. Don't try to force people. All it does is, is harden their hearts. Be patient and be loving. Remember, it is, just, it is God's will to reach your family and friends. And you are God's avenue into their spiritual lives. It's your primary ministry focus. Understand this. It's the why of why you serve and minister at this church also. Connect the dots here. Sometimes we don't do it. Connect the dots. You want to be part of a local church, a place where you and others can bring your family and your friends when they're ripe, the doors, when they allow the door to be open. You want to bring them to a place where they can experience the presence of God among the people of God. And that's why you minister. It's why you would say on a Friday night somebody else's children so they can go out it wasn't just about marriages it's that so somebody could bring their friends who are maybe having marriage problems who don't know jesus yet but they agreed to come to church on a friday night for marriage builders in order to have marriage builders go off somebody's got to watch the kids so if somebody doesn't watch the kids marriage builders can't happen and you don't got a place to bring your friends so it's why god has a place for every one of you in his church to serve 
It's not about somebody putting little check marks and saying, hey, got that done, got that done. No, it's about creating a place where you own the responsibility to reach your friends and family. You've got a place to bring them where they come to know the reality of Jesus. I'll say this, if you really care about your mission field, you'll really care about what's being done at your local church. So friends, own your high and holy calling. Take it seriously. Be continually looking for what God is doing, continually available to God. And when he shows you whose life he's working in, partner with him in that person's life. That make sense? So see, you don't have to be the Apostle Paul. You don't have to have this high, and you say, this, this elevated ministry, although God didn't elevate it, people do. You don't have to have this apostolic ministry in order to reach your family and friends. No. God uses ordinary Joes and Joannes. He just wants you to embrace your high calling and join him where he's working. Now, you might have noticed, Suzanne made a point of saying it in your bulletin today, there's a card. These cards are always available. They sit at the welcome, at the, at the connection center every week. They're always available. I always have a number of these in my wallet. And you say, why? First of all, it's the size of a business card for a reason. So it's not some one, one special event thing. You stick it in your wallet all the time. And you understand that as you're looking for people, you minister to them, but part of ministering to them is bringing them to a place where they can be with the people of God and experience the presence of God. And there's going to be many times you're going to bring people to church to keep, keep four or five of them in your wallet all the time. And when the right person comes, you say, you know what? Why don't you join me for church on that? You know what? You say this. Names on it. It doesn't say Pastor Mark Larson for a reason. Because Pastor Mark Larson is not, it's not about Pastor Mark Larson. Matter of fact, this is the only business card I have. People all the time ask me business card, this is what I give them. I don't have any business card with my name on it. That's not about me. They bow before you and they worship you. Stand up, I'm just a guy like you. It's about what God is doing in the local church and he does it in the local church so that you can reach your friends and family. And so, I always have cards and invite people. Bring them with, and they will come with you because they trust you. And you can tell them when you walk out of church the first week and they go, I didn't like that guy. You can go, just give him another chance. He's really all right. <laughs> They'll trust you. They won't trust me because I'm a stranger. They will trust you if you're living it right before them. Friends, I just say this. Let's all be Cornelius's. Cornelius was the first story we read. He invited those Friends and close, it says family and close friends. He invited those to hear about Jesus. Invest and invite. That is how we do it. We invest into the lives of people by loving on them, by being Jesus. And then we invite them. We invite them into a relationship at a coffee shop to talk about Jesus. And we invite them to church to experience the presence of God among the people of God. You know what I believe? As we own that as our primary primary ministry is to reach our friends and families. God's going to change your God's going to change your world. He's going to He's going to reach your cousins and your nieces and your your brothers and your sisters and your and your children. Live it first, and then look for God's activity and partner with God. That's how God designed it. That's what we see 
in the book of Acts as normal anyways in order to reach, in order to reach and change the world. They changed the world. They didn't have computers. They didn't have cars. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have worship equipment. What they had was people full of the Holy Spirit who understood that their high and holy calling was to influence their mission field. And they said, let's do this. So would you stand with me this morning? I want to close in prayer. Pray with me this morning. Lord, I just pray this for our whole church family. I'm going to make an assumption today, Father. An assumption that after we've looked at your word, we would be in agreement that we want to be used by you for your glory. That, God, we want to be like a Cornelius or a Crispus or the jailer who said, you know what? God's touched my life, and now I want to uh, share it with those who are close with me. I pray this, Lord God. Use us for your glory. Lord, work through us to reach our family and friends. God, I ask right now that you would give us spiritual eyes, spiritual insight into being able to see who in our circle of influence is ripening fruit. Because God, if it's true that you're always at work around us, and it is, and if it's true that you, enjoy, you invite us to join you in your work, and that's true, and your primary work is seeking and saving the lost, then there's people in our family and friends that we know don't know you, but you're working in their lives and they're opening the door. They're, fu- they're ripening fruit. And God, I'd pray this, that you would give us insight. You'd give us eyes that can see what you're doing. Things that in the past, Lord, would kind of just slip by us. Things that they maybe somebody would say, a friend or a family member would say, that's really a cry for help, that we're so busy sometimes, we just don't even hear them. God, help us to hear those things. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to spark our attention when those things are said. Because, God, we want to align with your priorities. And your priority is to seek and to save the lost. So God, just grab us when we're in the situations that maybe other times we would overlook. Help us to see with clarity what you're doing right where we are. That God, even today and tomorrow, when we interact with friends and family and we know there's ones who don't really, they don't really walk with Show us where you're working. And give us wisdom, God, to not badger on people who are not ready yet. We see from the Word, there was a day when Paul, when he was so, was not ready. But literally, moments later, because of an interaction with you, he was ready, he was ripe. God, help us to see the difference. Help us to see when it's time. And help us to be as, as um, aware of your voice Ananias was in that situation with when you spoke and you said, go talk. And although he said it, didn't think it paid, no, he was afraid for his life, he went and talked to him and he recognized he went from a green apple to a red apple in a heartbeat because of you. So 
So God, I thank you. You're always at work around us. We ask now, God, that you would help us to enter into this incredibly exciting life of seeing people come to know you. Having eternities changed. Letting the the false things of the world fall by the wayside. All the things that we obsess with and focus on that are really all secondary to the great and high holy calling of just partnering with you.